0: If you want to know the inner secrets about what's happening in the barefoot shoe or minimalist shoe world, uh, there's no one better that I could think of to talk to than the person we're going to be talking to on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who know, want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body. Starting feet first, because you know those things are your foundation. And here we break down the propaganda, the mythology, the sometimes myths and lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or play or do yoga or CrossFit, whatever it is you like to do, and to do that enjoyably, efficiently, effectively. And wait, did I say enjoyably? Trick question. Of course, I know I did because, you know, look, if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep doing whatever it is. So make sure you're having fun. I am Stephen Sashen, co CEO, co founder of Zero Shoes. I have the t shirt to prove it. And we make, of course, you know, shoes that let you have the comfort and benefits, uh, both performance and health benefits of letting your feet do what's natural. We call this the movement movement because we, and that includes all of you, more about that in a second, doesn't take any effort. We're creating a movement around natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do. And the part that you need to do, pretty easy. If you want to, head over to our website, www.jointhemovementmovement.com. There's nothing you need to do to join, there's no secret handshake, there's no money involved. That's just where you'll find all the previous episodes, the ways you can engage with us on social media, uh and where you, all those different places where you can, you know, leave a review or a thumbs up or give us five stars or hit the bell icon on YouTube. You know the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. All right, that's all the introy stuff. Let's have some fun on Jensen tell people who you are and what you're doing here.
1: Hello, um, my name is Anya and I have a blog that is meant to be like the complete guide to everything on the barefoot shoe spectrum. So helping you just find your footing, pun definitely intended. Um, I also have an online retail store where we stock minimalist shoes primarily from overseas So we're trying to increase access to these brands that are from overseas here in the U.S. And then I also have other fun projects that I like to do on the side, like designing some special shoes and hosting events and little things like that.
0: First of all, thank you. Secondly, for people who are watching this, um, I know you're asking the same question that I asked Anya when we got on the call, which is, Either A, do you have the world's largest, tallest door in the world, or have you suddenly become the smallest woman in the world? Uh, And neither of those, it turns out, were true.
1: Yeah, I'm just sitting on the floor. This So I don't have a proper office. I work from home and my big, my computer is in my bedroom. This is my bathroom and I'm sitting on the ground because it's the only place where I have like a remotely neutral background. So rather than have you stare at my bed or my dresser, I figure you can stare at the handle.
0: Well, the other thing, uh, there are people who have created, you know, these AI generated backdrops that they're using, you know, which of course makes your hair look all weird when you move your head at all. But nonetheless, you know, some of those with proper lighting could look pretty wacky. You could be on the enterprise or in, I don't know where else you would want to be. So, um, so let's go to the very beginning. Actually, no, I want to go to the very end. How long have you been doing this now?
1: I started at the end of 2018. So it's been five years.
0: In those five years thinking about what's happening now versus when you started. What's the biggest change you've seen both for what you're doing? And I have some ideas about that, but just the whole sort of, you know, barefoot footwear. And I'm going to use that term loosely, the whole barefoot footwear universe.
1: Oh, man, things have changed so much. And I started my blog at the end of 2018, but I've been exploring minimal issues for longer than that. And the reason why I started my work was because at the time it was there was like, it was this dearth of information online and the stuff that I could find was not very good for a lot of it. So there were very few sources to go to, to find information about natural footwear, which just really unknown or kind of fringe. And, uh, also the options were really limited for lifestyle. So if you wanted to be able to wear natural footwear, for going to work or out in the snow and things like that. There just weren't options. So, the reason why I started my blog was because I wanted to, for myself, really, because I was searching for myself, I wanted to figure out what I could find. And I did all this online research, you know, it's like compromise options that weren't necessarily marketed as barefoot shoes, but they fit into the category. And then, fast forward to today, it is just a completely different world. Like, you can wear minimalist shoes that have a wide toe box and a flat sole for almost everything and so many sizes and color. I mean, it's like, it's a totally different world. And sometimes people say things like, oh, I followed you for years and it's so great to see what you're doing now. You know, you've got all these models in your shop. And I'm like, you realize that these didn't even exist when I started. Like basically everything that we sell in our retail store didn't exist five years ago. So... I feel like I grew up kind of in this world. Like we all kind of grew up together, (laughs) you know, these brands that I have been following for so long, I sort of became interested in them when they were so much smaller. Zero, you had a, you've been around since early days. So you already had a pretty good footing in the industry when I became aware of you. In fact, you were one of the only options in 2018, 2017, but even still, the growth of your company has changed so much in five years. So it's been really rewarding to see how much the industry has changed.
0: Are you noticing anything um, different about the both the types of people that are interested in what we're doing? I don't mean we. I mean, you know, we, the collective we um, and and I'm trying to think of how to ask this Um, I'm going to have to do it as a statement and you're going to have to figure out what the question is. So I've noticed a dramatic change in the types of people that are coming to us. And frankly, just the behavior of people in general around mm-hmm. both who are into what we're doing and the critics uh, of what we're doing and everyone in between. Um, but I'm, I'm dying to hear your perspective because, you know, seeing it from the brand side is different than seeing it from your side.
1: Yeah. So when I first was looking at barefoot shoes, I noticed that they were primarily sp- sports athletic, like kind of running focused after the Born to Run book, which sparked a really uh, a lot of interest in natural running. And I came into it saying, you are missing a huge opportunity. All of these people who are interested in producing barefoot shoes to market to everyday people, because you only have one pair of running shoes, but we have all these other types of shoes in our closet where we actually spend more time in them. And, and also it just makes more intuitive sense to walk before you run. You know, there were, there's a lot more stress on your feet when you're running in minimalist shoes. So if we can't get everybody immediately into barefoot running shoes, why aren't we targeting walking shoes and lifestyle shoes? And so that for me is, uh, the biggest change in the types of people who are interested in it is it felt exclusive to me when I first started, I was trying to find, I was trying to find myself in it. So rather, since I couldn't, I just created that space for people like me. People who, and, and I was also struggling quite a bit with my feet. I was an injured person. I was a, a non-active person at the time. And how can I use these tools and these this footwear to sort of complement where I was at? Because I was not going to go run a marathon in five fingers.
0: Uh, by so, the way, um, this, this is a bit of a tangent, but you said, you know, doing it for people like me. I heard the most NPR thing I've ever heard on NPR the other day. It was it was a woman who said, look, I'm, you know, I'm just a half black, half Chinese by woman just trying to create my business for people like me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just you and your sister. Um,
1: Well, it turned out for at least in my case that there were a lot of people who wanted this and that it was not as niche as I thought.
0: No, no. In fact, this is the, the biggest thing that I think we're all still trying to overcome. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for it to happen, but people still think this is really, really niche in, in a number of ways. Some people think that it's just about running still. Some people oh. think that we just make sandals still, even oh. though that's been not true for 10 years. Um, and and the I'm trying to think if there's one other part to it. but I mean, mm-hmm. there's a, a a big deal industry analyst company that just came out with a whole thing about Barefoot Shoes. And they said the entire industry is only going to be generating $650 million in sales by 2026, which is absurd. But the way we're thinking of it, it's like we're not a, quote, barefoot shoe company. We're a company that does natural comfort performance and health by basing what we do on natural Principles mm-hmm. and that applies to people who know nothing about barefoot running, they're not, you know, whatever it is. But you know, you also brought up the whole idea of walking first, which is a really interesting one. It was an argument that I had with our team, our development team, where they said, you know, we need to make a walking shoe. I went, Every shoe we make is a walking yeah. shoe. <laughs> yes. What you're talking about, I mean, walking shoes is a category, but mm-hmm. what everybody in that category thinks they need is a lot of even more padding than in a running shoe, even more motion control than in a running shoe, even more arch support. Than in a typical running shoe, it's like that's uh, you can't you can't just say this is a walking shoe because it won't be any different than anything else that we already have. And of course, the yeah. flip side, you know, our quote casual shoes. There's a, a, a um, I don't know not, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention it, so I won't mention his name. Very 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 good NBA basketball player. That's redundant. I know, but some people don't know what the NBA is, so I figured I'd say it redundantly. So we gave him one of our – actually, we didn't give it to him. He bought one of our casual shoes. He wears it for everything other than playing when mm-hmm. he warms up, when he's in the gym. When, I mean, for everything. And this is what we can't get people to understand outside of the industry that, no, 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 you, you're, you're still locked on to 28, 2009, early 2010 when it was all just a bunch of crazy runners and a pair of five fingers or mm-hmm. in our sandals. Whole different world now, and they don't get that.
1: Yeah, it is a whole different world. And I I really have always tried to just speak to the people who wanted to hear. So I don't, I kind of run in different circles than like, I'm not really in butting up against these people who are trying to define our movement, but aren't a part of it. <laughs> um, <but laughs> yeah. From inside, what I see is that many, many people are just looking for comfort Right. And they are looking for shoes that fit them because right. so many people are like, I can't find shoes. And then they find my blog and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know shoes shoes like this existed. And right. they're not necessarily, oh, I want uh, to be able to pronate and uh, in my f- shoes, you know, they're not thinking about these technical terms. They're not thinking about medical stuff or even really longevity they just want to be comfortable and they're thinking more like or maybe it's immediate like i have a foot problem now right and i i just can't find anything i can wear that's comfortable and uh and so i people just come to me you know like they're they're just there waiting because the shoe industry is so messed up and shoes are so problematic for so many right. people
0: well um it, it's an interesting point that um well oh boy there were a couple that you made and i had two thoughts that popped in my head and one of them fell out so let me see if i can let me see if i can start on the second one and come back to the first um i'm curious what you have i want to ask this um, one of the things that i bump into is a bunch of mythology let me just say again i have to start with a statement before i can get to the question because i haven't thought through questions in advance um, <laughs> So, you know, there's a bunch of mythology that has grown up around this. Things like the magic cadence in you know, the number of steps per minute is has to be 180 steps per minute. No matter who you are, no matter how fast you're running, whatever it is, it's just 180 is the magic number. Not true. Or, you know, there's various things like that. But some of the things that are going on in terms I mean, uh, I know what it was. Comfort is the number one thing people are always looking for when it comes to footwear. The mm-hmm. problem is that they have now been taught that what comfort means is a bunch of padding art support motion control that don't actually deliver the goods. And one of my ways that I point that out is if that worked, why is there a multi-billion dollar industry, frankly, an industry that's not even a fraction of the size of the total footwear industry, a significant portion of the size of the footwear industry for making products to make those things more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Methodics, insoles, You know, gel, I mean, whatever it is, all these different things. Why is Dr. Scholl's in business if you guys, you big shoe companies are so smart about making things that are comfortable for people? Clearly, you know that's a problem. But it's also, I think, in the search for comfort and fit, the other thing you brought up, I'm seeing – Um, things that I refer to as mythological in that regard as well. And before I tell you what I see about that, I'm curious what you see about how people are trying to, in the internet age in particular, find things that are comfortable and will fit that either may or may may not be a smart path to take to answer that question for themselves. Do you know where I'm going?
1: Uh, Actually, no. (laughs) Okay, here, I'll I'll give you one.
0: I'll, I'll give you one it's become a bit of a meme in a way that the way to tell if a shoe is going to fit is by taking out the insole and stepping on it.
1: Oh, yeah. Which yeah, is- that's is an interesting one. Um, because for one, lots of shoes don't have insoles and a lot of shoes use the same insole for different sizes of shoes. So then it's, then you're asked, and I have some questions about that because if one insole fits into multiple sizes then it's not reliably indicating how your foot is fitting inside them.
0: Well, there's another point. The, the insole has to fit inside the shoe. So depending on the design of the shoe, it's, it is by definition more narrow and a different shape than the shoe. And since fit is a three dimensional thing, it's about the volume of the foot, the volume of the shoe, the materials, the construction. It's just not telling you what you think, what people think it is. And yet it's such an easy heuristic. It's such an easy thing to imagine is giving you the information you want that it's spread like wildfire and could not be less valuable. (laughs)
1: No, I, I've always, um, resisted reducing it down to that. I I understand why people like to have these easy tools, but, and people do always want me to give them easy answers to like, okay, does this, it's going to fit my foot type. Is this going to do this for me? And I feel like my, my MO has been to let's, let me give you as much practical information as I can and I can, you know, answer some of these specific questions for you. Let's like make information available. But at the end of the day, fit is highly personal. Like you said, it's three it's, it's preference. And it also is a 3d phenomenon. You know, you're not just length and width. You've got the way that the shoe attaches to the, the upper attaches to the outsole and whether it's laced and whether all these different things, whether it's a boot or a low top is all going to affect how it fits. So you really kind of have to try it to find out and that width charts are really problematic
0: useless. And
1: people um I think the average person doesn't know how to use a size chart correctly.
0: Oh, no wait, I'm going to interrupt and tell you something even worse and I'm not trying to be a douche when I say this, but people always ask me why don't you just give me especially for length? They want you just tell me the inside length of the shoe. As well mm-hmm. two things. One, if I'm being if I'm not being if it's not the end of the day when I'm tired, what I will say was, well, we've tested a number of different ways of giving you our recommendation for how to find the right size, and the one we're currently using is the one that has worked the best for everybody. But what I say, if I'm less politically correct and if I'm exhausted, I go, "You would not be, you would be amazed at the number of people who don't know how to use a goddamn ruler."
1: <laughs> well, uh, the ruler, the pencil, the time of day you measure, right, I'm like. How you measure whether you trace or whether you we call it the wall method where you don't put do tracing, but you put your foot up against the wall. all and and even just doing the same thing multiple times, you can get different measurements. And so I for in my experience, the best thing that I can distill for customers or for potential customers, or even if they're just readers, on my blog is, okay, I've literally tried thousands of barefoot shoes. So let me tell you how I'm feeling in this shoe compared to in, in the, the, in my experience. So right. it's not specific. I'm not saying like here's the numbers. It's like okay, these fit generally true to size, but they are high over the midfoot or, you know, narrow in the heel, like things like that where it's like more like I'm just going to describe it in a narrative way, right. like how my experience is in this shoe and that has been way more effective. People get so lost in the numbers.
0: Yeah. And well- to your point, everybody, we're humans. We want a simple solution. We want something paint by numbers. We want, you know, step-by-step, step, but it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I try to remind people, you know, you go into a shoe store and you get five shoes that are the same size and they fit completely differently. Right. They go, yeah. I go, well, why are you expecting it to, you know, that, how could that be reduced to a set of numbers? And, yeah. and I'm being glib when I say that, because frankly, I've got a patent pending on a way to solve this problem, but that's a whole other story. So, um, that i can't get into for you know legal reasons but what you just said also made me think of another thing um when i th- when and again i have to start with a statement unfortunately when i think of the number of things that i now know with 14 years in this business um it, it's kind of shocking frankly and there's certain things that uh I, that I, I know from being inside the footwear world that normal human beings don't know um, some of which I can communicate and they understand many of many of them are just again too complicated. What are some of the things that you're aware of now or know now that A, you never imagined in a million years would be part of, you know, filling up space in your brain? And yeah. if you have anywhere you go, Yeah, I just don't know how to communicate this. I'm I'd love to hear it.
1: There's a lot of things and it's <laughs> It's funny because when I first started blogging, I was way more final in my assessments of things, you know, like I would try something and I'm like, okay, this shoe is like this. And then now I'm five years in and also have a shoe store. So I have a lot of, and so I'm also weighing, I'm pulling from my customers experiences too. And I... Just can't, I am not, I can't uh, put the period on the end of statements as easily as I used to because I realize how open ended things are. So, one thing is that often it's not uncommon for a shoe to fit differently in the small size of the spectrum than in the large size of the spectrum. So, something might be uh, more true to size in my size, but then my husband, I wear a 37 or a seven women's seven, and my husband wears a men's 13 or a 47, EU 47. So now we both try them because sometimes he has a totally different experience. Like it doesn't scale proportionally. Right. And so they fit slimmer in his size and they're mm-hmm. quite wide in my size. So I've seen some of that where there's some some manufacturing inconsistencies. And I don't know if that's because brands don't want it to look so wide I
0: I, I can actually, I can answer that one for you because it's a statistical thing. Statistically, as for men, I'll speak for men in particular, as men's foot sizes increase in length, they don't increase in width proportionally. Mm -hmm. So they increase more in length than they do in width. Statistically, of course, everything's on a bell curve or some kind of curve, not initially a perfect bell curve, of course. But in, in a similar vein, the reason most shoe companies don't make half sizes over 12, they go from 12 to 13 to 14 to 15, and usually they stop at 13, is because uh, again, it's a statistical thing. The difference in, in a half size is r- little less than four millimeters. So if your foot is already really large, if you're a size 13, the difference between a 13 and a 14 is per- is percentage wise very small. Mm-hmm. So there was just no and also the number of people who are buying the 14, 15, et cetera, is so small that to do this half sizes makes no sense for most brands. But part of it is just the stats of it. Similarly, like just the whole, there are people who often say to me, why don't you just do things and call them narrow versus wide instead of men versus women? go Because it's not that simple. Because again, statistically, women's feet have a different shape than men's feet. And where people don't like to go because it sounds racist, but it's not, is uh, European feet, statistically, different shape than American feet. Asian feet, statistically different feet than European. and I mean, you can literally, there there are some, the larger companies who have completely different shapes of their shoes for Asia, for Africa, for South America, for Europe, for America, which from my perspective is really cool. It's also a logistical nightmare that I hope I never have to be the one thinking about. Um, if it ever if we get to be that big, that'd be really great. By that point, I will not be the one making those decisions. <laughs> but, um, but again, you know we're all a little myopic, and so, uh, so there's that. So some of this is literally just based on stats. But there's okay. another weird one: the sample size when people are developing shoes. You're lucky. Women's size seven is a sample size. Men's size nine is a sample size. It used to be because those were the median size for men and women. They're not anymore, yeah, <laughs> um, but they still use nine and seven because when they are doing the grading for how to change the design going smaller from a women's seven going bigger from a women's seven and again smaller and bigger from a nine because that was the middle, you could do it that way. It doesn't work that way anymore, so it's and I think in our world, the median size is different than quote the rest of the world. I don't know why I put a quote around that, but <laughs> like our average size is I think ten and a half not the same for a company that is not in the barefoot space.
1: Yeah. That that is true, but and also I, we have noticed that the European companies that we work with, they often stop at a 46 mm-hmm. and Americans do they we we have a lot more people it seems just anecdotally from our experience who are into 47 and 48. And they just don't have customers who who are buying shoes in that size in Central Europe. So how that that alone? I mean, we've we've come up against that. And women's feet in the U.S. tend to be bigger too. It seems like, or maybe it's barefoot shoe buyers.
0: Yeah, I don't know which. I'm not sure which it is. Um, we haven't been able to do that diagnostic and get, get gather that data. But it's another thing where everyone thinks that they're normal. Yes. that's the one that I found it's like you know why you, why doesn't your shoe fit me it's like well have you ever found a shoe that fit you no well we're doing that's the best a, we can
1: that's another thing that I've had to when I first started it was easy for me to sort of pass judgment on how other brands did things because I like <laughs> oh you need you guys need to expand your size range or you know you need to do this and like that then you can serve more people or you should have a wide option and then you realize that the economics of it the number of people who are buying a size women's 5 or or a men's 50 15. you know that um these are very small categories of people and then the cost that it Incurs to produce them or having a narrow and a wide so we carry as many shoes as we can in these peripheral sizes and also right. in wide, but we have to like man it we have to like mitigate our cost with them because we know that theres a good chance that they will never move so we want to have it because we want to serve people, and given our size and the fact that we are uh, wholesale, we're not necessarily producing these. So, we, so we don't. We're not fronting the cost of like the last and all the molds of these sizes. So, whenever we can, we want to like have that as an option. But the reality is that it costs us to be able to provide that, and then uh, people ask for things, and then they 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 don't buy it. Right. Or there's not very many people.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no. You know, what's so, what's so funny is you're, you, we say the exact same thing. Um, and we, we had to do the math. I mean, it, it took us till... So we've been in business just shy of 14 years. Our 14th anniversary is coming up in a few weeks. And I don't know when this is airing, but you know, anyway, end of November-ish. And um, we finally got tools in place within the last year to be able to analyze what our sales are for every style, every size, every color. And I'm like you. I want to be able to give everybody what they want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we ordered X number of pairs of women's five, men's fifteen, and we still have them. Mm-hmm. And then we get someone saying, But why don't you make a 16? It's like, because there's four of you guys. <laughs> so and and again, it costs money to make them, it costs money to store them, it costs money to sit on them. It costs, you know, so yeah. it's um so you know, so that's again one of those things that I imagine you never in a million years thought you would have to learn, understand, and deal Mm -hmm. with is just that level of inventory management um, and all these things about the reality of the footwear biz that now I imagine keep you up at night sometimes.
1: Another thing that is really interesting to me is that the way that shoes get produced, especially if they're produced in a factory and, and brands don't just live at the factory where their shoes are produced. Right. So sometimes they come, and there's some like details that get lost along the way, and so then the final product comes, and you're like, "That's a little different than what we talked about," <laughs> and there's aspects of it that might not even be known to the brand owner, and so yeah. you know, like you do the best you can, but the sh- but the shoe and that also results in slight fit differences. So the the right. ability to be completely meticulous and have complete continuity is really not possible. You just do the best you can to streamline things and then things inevitably happen. And, you know, like the, uh, the understand, I feel like everybody could kind of be a little more understanding about the fact that shoes are difficult to make exactly right.
0: <laughs> well, um, they, they, The idea that they could be is a fairy tale um, because that's just not how human minds work. We wish they were. I mean, it's the thing that I say often. It's like, um, so human beings are involved and human beings don't do things perfectly every time. And in fact, like, let's say we have a men's nine and a half in one particular color that got weird and somebody asked for another one. If I haven't sold another men's nine and a half in that particular color right away, there's a high probability that the next shoe was made by the same guy who messed up the first shoe. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, you know, when I explain things like that, people sometimes say, you're just being defensive. It's like, no, I'm trying to explain how this industry works. This is a crazy town. Or if we have some issue and, and I'll say this, and this is going to sound totally defensive um, and it, I'm okay with it. If it does, people will give, people will not care or they will just write it off if they buy a shoe from a multi-billion dollar company that has some manufacturing defect, but if we have it, they a assume that everything we've ever done is problematic and that we're just trying to rip them off. And it's like, but I can just show you the same, this problem you're showing on our shoe. It happens to these big companies too. Here's the videos, here's the pictures. They go, "Eh, It's not the same. No, no, no. It's exactly the same. So, you know, it's, so back to the, you know, wish they could understand or hope they could understand. I, I would love that, but I don't harbor that what I think of as a fantasy now. It's just, it's just the way of it, which actually brings me to another question. And this one I can do as a question. I don't know how active you are on social media, but what have you noticed about the way people engage with uh, all of us on social media, not just about, you know, uh, kind of across the board, Um, people who are anti, people who are pro, people who are curious, people who are, um, having some issue I mean what do you notice about the way social media has impacted this whole sphere of everything?
1: It does seem like social media has played a big part in it. Uh, social media is always polarizing right and so it's hard to find people who are nuanced on there. And so sometimes I get a little frustrated about that with the on the discussion on minimal issues is it's like it's either gonna solve all your problems, <laughs> or it's going to be the cause of all your problems. And there's there's just this very fertile middle ground that people are not really occupying yeah. very well yet. And so even though I'm glad that there's a lot more discussion about it, which it was not there when I first joined. Yeah. Right. No, you came
0: in you came in at the low point of search volume in fact.
1: And it it there were hardly any accounts talking about barefoot shoes and now it's very trendy you yeah. got all these like biohackers and and wellness people who are jumping on this as a kind of a general life optimization but it does feel kind of like a trend and yeah. so i worry sometimes about the nuance of 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 the fact that you can find a way to make this work for you and you don't have to be kind of like really zealous
0: about it that you can (laughs) see because here's the thing because if people do have a real positive experience which happens way 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 more often than not um that's when people do get overzealous um well i don't even over but that's what humans do like out of context i I used to do a lot of long-term meditation courses you know 10 days sitting on your butt for 16 hours a day kind of thing and or 20 days or you know long time sitting on your butt doing nothing and um that was super glib for diehard meditators. Huge apologies. Never mind. But bottom line, the number of times where I would meet someone who just came back from doing their first long course and go, oh, my God, this changed my life. I go, hey, do me a favor. Shut up for two weeks. Don't tell anyone for two weeks. Wait, what? I go, well, because you're going to be sounding really obnoxious for the next two weeks. Um, and in two weeks, a lot of what you're feeling now will have faded, frankly. So you know, you want to see where it really lands yeah. rather than where you know, you're in the throes of uh, your love story.
1: Yes, and I love when I hear people who are so excited Agreed. saying, "I, you know, this changed my life," and like, I'm so, I'm so happy about what you're doing, and like, what is available now. And I absolutely love that. But I also feel like you, where come back to me in five years and, <laughs> or in ten years, and let's see where have we landed, and and how, like, what nuance have we gathered that we didn't have at the beginning. And I myself at the beginning, I was like, okay, I am like all in on these super thin soles." And I live in Iowa and the winter came and I was miserable. And I also was in a lot of pain because I have really um, flat feet and I'm hypermobile. So I have some fat tissue, a fat on the bottom of my foot, it kind of moves around. So mm-hmm. sometimes I will actually like, it will move away from my heel. Oh, wow. And my heel bone will be really exposed and it can be pretty painful. So I'm just thinking, well, no, if thin flexible soles. That's like, I got to do it. And now I'm like, okay, If you're in pain, if something that you're doing is causing you a lot of pain, then let's dial it back. Let's rethink about it. Let's like think of it as a spectrum of what can I take that is going to be useful to me and what can I let go. And it's not an all or nothing. And it's not, you know, it's not a sin to maybe put in a tiny little support or like a little bit of cushion or immobilize the foot a little bit so it can heal because it's been working too hard. Things like that, that I have more space for
0: now. Well, you're, you're, you're highlighting again, another human phenomenon that is particularly prevalent in the West where we have been trained for the last 50 years from um, brilliant and evil marketers that a whatever the product is, is the instant solution for whatever your problem is. And um, I I say to people things like, if you haven't been in the gym for a few years and you go back and try and do the workout you did when you were 20, what's going to happen? And they're like, Oh, well, it's going to be horrible. well, yeah. So why would you expect something different now? Granted, some people have an instantaneous thing goes forever. Everything's totally fine. But yeah, being again, being, mm, circumspect being a little you know not I don't want to say do your research cuz god that's been tainted not
1: just that it's almost yeah. like you just have to live your life and what life is going to yeah. teach you
0: yeah exactly well you know and this is this is actually a line that we use often and i think lena was the first person that i knew who said it she's our shoes are just a coach they're telling you what you need to pay attention to next and you need to figure out what to do with that information yes. but the idea that you will become your own best coach is more valuable than anyone telling you anything Yes. Because you'll know how to assess that information based on your own experience. And and I think so that's, a, that's a good one. Um,
1: and injuries happen. You know, you can do everything that you need sure. to for your feet. Like you can totally take but care of them. And you will, will probably still be injured at some point in your life.
0: I'm going to do the butt on that one. Because this is one of those things that um, really annoys me. I, there's nothing I like less than bad thinking and bad logic um and one of my best friends calls me 20 something years ago and says you know what your biggest problem is i went ooh this will be good he yeah. said um you like to tell people when they're logically inconsistent or in some you know cognitive bias or have some factual error or basically if they're wrong about something cuz you like hearing it cuz it makes you think about what you're just saying and you'll reconsider it um and so it's valuable for you but i'm here to let you know that when you do that to people they think you're a total asshole and i said Holy crap. You just explained my whole life to me and I never figured that out before. That's exactly what he goes, dude, you're doing it right now. (laughs) So, so there's things like people say, well, if you're, you know, you switch to a barefoot shoe or go barefoot, you're going to get injured. I go, you may, but the question is not whether you get injured. There's two questions. One is, is whatever the injury you get, more or less valuable than whatever you get from the other time that you're doing this natural movement thing but more importantly compare the injury rate and the types of injuries when you're doing this to people in regular shoes and yeah. if you do and no one has no one has done that level of a study yet although I can tell you um the closest thing to it i don't know if you've heard me say this one but i've been saying it a lot so i'm going to say it again on the nike website and i can point you to the link They finally published a portion of the abstract of a study that they designed and they paid for, comparing two of their shoes. And I'm not going to get into all the details. I'll just say that one of the shoes in a 12-week study that they developed injured over 30% of the people wearing it. And the better shoe only injured, only, I'm putting in air quotes, 14.5%. Now, they didn't. they defined an injury as anything that kept you from running for at least three training sessions in a row, so probably at least a week. But again, they didn't publish all the data. So it could have been that some people got knocked out on day one and never came back. So mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons they didn't publish all the data. But the kicker is this. Um, if And now injury rates don't stay consistent over time. So over time, they tend to raise. So that 30% and 14.5% kind of most likely gets to what we've been all saying somewhat anecdotally, but also somewhat backed by research, that on average, 50% of runners and 80% of marathoners get injured every year. Well, here's the kick. Let's just go back to the fourteen and a half percent, thirty percent. If we injured that percentage of people from the time they got into our shoes over the next twelve weeks, we'd be shut down, and I'd be in jail.
1: <laughs> yeah. So no, clearly, absolutely.
0: something's different.
1: And, and we we also know we don't even like taking away shoes. We know that. Having big toe strength and intrinsic foot strength and calf strength
0: reduces injury. All
1: of these things prevent injury, prevent right. falls in seniors, right. or not prevent—I should say—reduce the risk of. Um, you know that they—they they help with all kinds of life, right? Well, overall well-being, function metrics. Yeah. So, to me, that's enough. Like I—I I don't question what I do. I just always feel bad when people come to me and say, I tried to do everything right, but now I'm having foot pain. And it's like, well, you know, sometimes foot pain happens and like, it might not be the shoes, like maybe it's other things.
0: Well, I'll I'll, I'll say two things about that. Um, I responded to someone on social media today who said they switched our shoes and they, um, they had plantar fasciitis like flare up or I don't know if it started or flared up. Um, and I could tell from a couple of the comments, something which I didn't say explicitly, um, only because it was too early and I had too many things to do, which was um, that... Well, let me back up. When I was in the lab with Dr. Bill Sands, who used to be the head of biomechanics and engineering for the U.S. Olympic Committee, what I saw in his lab is that if you people would come in with every shoe that they wore and he'd put them on a big treadmill, film them at like 500 frames a second from the side and from the back to look at their gait. And what we saw, what he showed me, is that for almost everybody, when they put on a different shoe, their gait changes. Mm -hmm. And here's the kick. As the shoe changes, if it's a shoe with a big, thick midsole, as the midsole changes, their gait changes, commensurate with that in some way. Here's the kicker. They never noticed. They put on different shoes and they didn't notice that their gait had changed. They couldn't feel it. And so that's thing number one. So thing number two with this person about plantar fasciitis, I could tell from the comments she didn't have plantar fasciitis. She had tight calves. Mm -hmm. And plantar fasciitis is perhaps... The most common injury among runners and just humans, it seems, uh, humans wearing shoes. But it's also, the, from my experience, the most misdiagnosed. The number of times where I've seen someone who said they had plantar fasciitis, and I could tell it was just tight calves, and I prove it to them. I go, just massage the crap out of that, or let me do it, and then see if that's any better after five minutes. And they go, holy crap, that's like ninety percent better. I'm, like, you don't have plantar fasciitis, you have tight calves. It's pulling on their plantar fasciita. I'm sorry, the plantar fascia, but it's not <laughs> plantar fasciitis. And yeah. so again, there's these subtle things, and this goes, you know, back into the into the the mythology component to it. So it's it's really wild. And you know, there's another thing related to this. If somebody buys a shoe from I'm going to name a company I already named Nike, so now I'll say Under Armour, and they get it, and it feels weird, in some way, they're much more likely to go back over to Target and buy something to try to fix it than to get online and complain that it doesn't work and that shoes suck. But in our world, someone, you know, feels like a little something and they're often, not everyone, of course, but the first move for a lot of people, in part because the social media algorithms give you bonus points for, you know, complaining and et cetera, et cetera. But it seems that they're much more likely to just say, hey, it doesn't work than, um, some other conclusion or my favorite thing ever is my left foot feels, you know, I'm wearing your shoe and shoes and my left foot is having a problem. I go, cool. How's your right foot? Like what? I mean, they literally never even thought of it that way. It's like, I say, how's your right foot? Well, seems okay. It's like cool. Pay attention to your right foot. The next time you go for a walk and see what happens. And invariably they come back and go, huh, my left foot got better somehow. (laughs) Like, Yep. There's a whole bodywork style that's based on that idea. Pay attention to the good side, the bad side, will, you know, the quote bad side will figure it out.
1: Interesting. I could use some of that. I got good and bad sides. <laughs>
0: Everybody does. I mean, look, the, the joke, it's part of my origin story. If I wasn't the weird kind of person who after my first barefoot run got a big blister on my left foot, if I wasn't weird enough to think, huh, how come my right foot's fine? This would have never happened. If I had the normal thought of like, hey, I got a blister. This is clearly bullshit none of this would have happened. And, and and I and I must confess something, um, and I hope it doesn't sound like a humble brag. It was really more of a, a comical realization in my brain. You know, the number of people looking for barefoot shoes now, according to Google Trends data, is higher than it's ever been. And I was saying this for a couple of months till I went, oh right, um, I've been helping make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> well
1: I, I feel like I played a small part in that
0: too. Absolutely. That's why I brought it up. No, I mean there's, you know, there's there are a select number of people who are getting the majority who are really driving that and you're one of them. It's one of the reasons we're having this conversation and one of the reasons <laughs> I adore you. So, w- one of the many. Which brings me to another thing, not really, but it made me have another thought. At what point did you decide to take the blog and say, you know, I think I need to get into the actual selling of shoes biz and <laughs> Well, Wait, hold on. For see. people who didn't see the look of, how would you describe the look that just washed across your face when I, I said that? Very,
1: I have a very good eye roll.
0: <laughs> your whole face eye rolled is what you, is what it was. Yeah, that was brilliant.
1: Um, so actually, the truth is, is that I never wanted to sell shoes. I love blogging. I love being able to be more a neutral player and to be able to talk about all the options um so the shop actually runs separately but together kind of so it's like i treat it as a different thing and it was my husband justin who really wanted to start the shop and i resisted for a while and finally we had an agreement that as long as i was not going to be taken away from the blog then i would like throw my name on behind the shop and um I mean, I'm pretty heavily involved. Like I choose what we carry. I, I help. Them. I do guy uh, run the marketing and uh, all kinds of stuff. But I am very adamant that the blog is my job. And that way I can write reviews on zero shoes and I can do, I can like write about brand new startup companies that have no marketing budget that might not be seen. And I think they're doing great work and I want to give them a, you know, a space. We're never going to carry them, but like, I still feel like People need to I know. amplify, yeah. I want people to know so or researching like work boot stuff that um, it's more about finding compromise options that are going to be the best given the limitations of the industry. So, I, I love doing that, I love breaking down these barriers and and kind of covering all of it in a white tent. So, that is like where, where I live,
0: yeah. So, back to the eye roll.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, also it's, it's man, it's so much work to run a shop. Like, uh, I was like, just thinking I was telling my husband all the reasons why I'm like, okay, well then we have to get them in every size, you know, that right. And then we have to figure out what, how many of each size. And then we have to figure out what colors and it's like, where are they all going to (laughs) go? I'm coming up with all these excuses for why not to and he just really wanted to give it a try because he had been sort of following along and kind of sensing that there was a space for this in the US and so we he, it was in 2020 so it was about two two years after I started the blog where he uh gave it a go built the website Um, I was like, okay, here's what you need to carry because these are the ones that are going to do the best here. (laughs) And, um, and it really grew pretty fast. So it's been three years now. And we started out in our basement and he had another full-time job. And so he would, we would come home, he'd come home. I'd been blogging and, you know, doing that kind of stuff all day. And then we would pack orders, process returns, uh, answer customer service emails at like nine o'clock every night after the kids had gone to bed. Then we moved from the garage, the, the, sorry, we moved from the basement into the garage and then we would be doing it in the garage. And then we moved to a storage unit where we had to like rig up lights and stuff, you know, like, and bring in like electricity to a generator to print labels, And, (laughs) and then we moved to a warehouse and then we moved to a bigger warehouse in August. So it has been nonstop. And it's kind of one of these things where we ask ourselves like almost every month, what the hell we're doing and why we keep doing this to ourselves. But both of us are too ambitious and we just keep seeing, we keep seeing things like, I'm, I hear so much and where we know what's going on. You know, we have all of our customer feedback. I have all the blog feedback. I've got this Facebook community group that is like a a very thriving message board where I I can see what people are talking about. And I just have a good sense of what people want next. Like Mm -hmm. what's the next step? And so then I just can't help it. I got into it.
0: (laughs) You were obviously preaching to the choir. Look, about two and a half years in, I said to Lena, wouldn't it be nice to have a little internet business, took a couple hours a day, you know, made enough money that we could live off that. She goes, that's what we have. Yep. Can't stay that way though. And I just walked in, I just walked through the 15,000 square foot office that we're moving into next week. And I nearly started crying. Um, I mean, it's so not what we ever imagined. And it's so amazing and, um, uh, and you know, n- couldn't have been predicted in any possible way. But yes, the number of times where I've called one of my best friends on a Friday evening at seven o'clock when I'm just forcing myself to go home and I go, do you want to buy a shoe company for $9.38? Because uh,
1: no one. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. and, you know, and we have the added bonus of the production side. So, uh, you know, just add that challenge. It's really... This is, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say I literally can't think of a more difficult industry, um, for myriad reasons. It's, you know, from the design development production, the time that it takes to do things, the macroeconomic situations that you have no control over that affect what you're doing. I mean, it's like, it's, and we were warned. There's people that we met very early on who told us, you know, we would do this with you because we believe in you and what you're doing, but we've been in footwear for 35 years. And so we're not stupid, stupid enough to start a shoe company. Mm -hmm. And, um, we and we said well we're hyper optimistic and naive that's the way things get done so where we go
1: <laughs> i was warned about starting a retail store too i mean i'm so glad that we mostly don't deal with production i do have some shoes that i produce on a small scale it's right. inevitable i can't help it steven uh, i cannot I it. help.
0: i no, will look, you know oh, there's two things one you see you see a hole you see an opportunity that needs to be addressed you know, someone's got to do it. I mean, my yeah. joke is I love it when I have an idea and so, and then someone else does it. It's like, oh, thank God, I don't have to go into that business. <laughs> so, um, and, and it's frankly, it's one of the most frustrating things for me in our business is that it's just not possible to do everything you want as fast as you want to do it.
1: Oh, but and that's not wow. just our business, right? That's like, no, no. that it's, is life. It's,
0: it's true. It's true for any business, especially any rapidly growing business. But yeah. this is one that, I think there's just a different flavor to it because you know what it takes. It's not like it's you're in reinventing something; you're just adding on something. But you can't do it like in the early days. That was the joke. Lena would say, "It's your job to think of all the cool stuff to do, and it's my job to tell you we don't have the money for it." And that hasn't changed, even though it's now my CFO telling me that instead of Lena telling me that. Um, I mean, that's the the balancing act. But and again, it's because there, part of it is also, and I know you hear this, is people asking for it. And in people's minds, well, it, I can imagine you doing it. So it must be easy to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's that you know, thing about human beings as well. If we can think of it, even if we haven't thought of it very clearly, we imagine that it's as easy to do as it was to think of it. And yes. that's just not the way this thing works. I mean, I don't know about you. what did you do before this? What were you doing for income?
1: So I went to school to be an elementary school teacher. And I did that for just a few years. And then when my oldest son was born, he's 10, I didn't want to go back. I, we also moved states and I didn't want to get a new baby. Wait, life. I got to
0: pause there. How did you have a 10-year-old baby? That's amazing. That's uh or did I mishear, did I <laughs> misunderstand the logic of that sentence?
1: 10 so, years ago, I had a oh, okay, baby. okay, now yeah. i got it. Okay. So I, I don't like sitting still. So mm-hmm. I'm. And I I just have an active mind. So we started a home business. My husband was kind of working a traditional nine to five job. And I did some you know, smattered of smatterings of things. I was tutoring, keeping up the teaching a little bit. And then we started an audiovisual rental company. So we rented as one does. Yeah, that's <laughs> honestly, it was a great little business. And there is a hole there if anybody wants a good business idea, because we, we stopped doing it, but having projectors and screens for like birthday parties, movie, you know, showing movies out at the park and we would run it at our, out of our home. So it was very little overhead and I could do it with the kids at home. So I we did that for a long time. Well, I guess I mostly did that, but um, like- I don't know, six, I did it concurrently with the blog for a while. So I was blogging for like 20 hours a week. And at the beginning, I wasn't making anything because I just had this like, well of, of like, okay, I just have so much to say, didn't know why, but I just wanted to get it all out there. And then I was doing this other thing. And that was the only thing that was making money. And then, um, after a while, Justin, again, who he's the, he's the one who's like, prodded me more in, in the uh, making it official side, like, you know, getting me to tighten up a little bit. And he was like, you know, if you just learned basic SEO and (laughs) you applied for affiliate programs, then you probably could make money off of what you're already wanting to write and, and talk about. So I did, and it made a huge difference. And so then by 2020, I, we sold the other business and I've just been full-time ever since the,
0: the reason the reason that I asked to be to be clear, just for the fun of saying it is that my whole life everything I ever did was a simply transactional thing. I do something, you hand me money and it's done. I was a performer mostly and um or I did some coaching kind of, you know, therapy things as well, but the ba- same idea It's like I do a thing, there's an exchange of resources and that's the end of it. To now have to be thinking 18 to 24 months in advance. Oh and have things that we're paying for now that we won't see the results of for years makes my head explode.
1: That is a challenge. And we have that less compound, like we have to that less of a degree, but we're, we've already put in all of our orders for spring. I mean, you did that like a year ago, but we're, we're doing that. We know in fall comes and we're barely getting fall inventory and we have to decide what, what we're going to carry next year. And I don't, I don't love that, but um,
0: that's the way it works.
1: It's the way it works, yeah. but as long as I get my healthy dose of in the, my blogging world where I I am com- in complete control, I decide exactly what I do with my time, then that kind of evens me out a little bit.
0: So since it's just you and me, Justin's not on the call, um, uh, do you work for Hammer? Does he work for you? He well, works. Between you and me. Totally. <laughs> It totally works for you. You know, people ask me, they say, what's it like working with your wife? I go, I love uh, being part of a woman owned business, especially that woman. So I, um, while we are definitely partners in every possible way, I-, I love to think that I work for her.
1: He grounds me. He grounds everything, mm-hmm. but it it's definitely me who's sort of guiding it. But it really, I mean, it's like 50-50. There's just no, it's hard to divide it because I can't, like, I need someone to make sure that the logistics, logistical things happen and like these technical things happen. And I can't just live in my dream world of all the things that we (laughs) want to do all the time. So it's, Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good team. And he also likes to be behind the scenes, too.
0: No, I I think um, from my perspective, and I I wonder, I imagine this is probably true for you. It literally couldn't happen if it was uh, if it weren't Lena and me. Because there's no way I could hire someone to do what she does put up with you know all of just the trials and tribulations of all of this. I mean, first of all, because she's just really good at what she does but all and so just finding someone like that would be next to impossible. But again, adding on to that just what it's taken for 14 years, who right. would put up with that?
1: no it's it's totally true. When you're a founder, when it's your baby, when you, you do things for it that nobody else is willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never, it's, you're never off. It's always, always there. So.
0: Wait, off? What do you mean off? I'm not sure. (laughs) sure. Are you referring to, what's that word people use sometimes? Vacadian? (laughs) Vacatean? What the hell is that one? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Mystery to me. So um, I'm going to ask you to do something that's completely impossible to do, but what the hell, what do you see as the future for, you know, you and what you're doing and, or this whole space and what, you know, we're all doing.
1: Well, I do, I do see it growing. I see it continuing to grow with more people interested. Uh, I foresee that I will continue to write because that's what I love to do. I will probably write a book one day, who knows Mm -hmm. when, but that's, Mm -hmm. I've wanted to write a book since I was a kid. So uh, that's on my bucket list, I'm gonna do it. Um, We are-
0: Wait, hold on, this is gonna sound uh, completely crazy and I'm pulling it out of my butt, but um, this is a conversation that Lena and I had as well. Lena is an award-winning writer um, and that was her thing. And of course we've lived part of this story, you've lived part of the story, I don't know if there's any there there for the two of you doing something together, um, whether it's a book or anything else, but I imagine, I mean, knowing both of you, as I do uh, one more than the other, um, my wife being the one I know more, um, I I have a sneaking suspicion you'd get a kick out of having that conversation.
1: Sure. You know, I've never met Lena actually.
0: Oh my God. We'll have to do something about that. But anyway, you were saying.
1: Um, So that's somewhere in there. And I do plan on designing my shoes. I've got, I guess now that I've, I've made some things happen, it kind of like goes to your head a little bit and you're like, well, now I can just do everything that I want. Like, maybe it will take a lot of work, but I'm like, if I want to do it, then I'm just going to put it on, on there and yeah. I will get to it. <laughs> um, so, I want to design some more shoes and I, we plan on doing more events. Um, so that's an exciting thing. Got to figure out how that's going to work, though, because I might need a clone for that.
0: People, people ask me what's next for your business. I go, well, I need a clone, an assistant, yeah. a clone of my assistant and an assistant for my clone.
1: Yeah. I do have an amazing assistant, but she can only put in part-time hours mm-hmm. and I'm like, really need her cloned. Yeah. Yeah. It helps me with keeping track of a lot of moving parts.
0: Here's the problem with cloning. A friend of mine says we're never going to have human cloning because no one's going to ever want to be, have this experience. You're walking down the street and you see someone in front of you and you go, Oh my God, who's the idiot with the fat ass and those white shorts. And the guy turns around and says, Oh, it's me. Oh <laughs> man. So, you know, we're going to avoid that one. Um, yeah. I think, you know, you've described the, the classic founders journey and happily Frankly, happily, we are in a space that does, from every indication, look like it's growing significantly. And you know, a point that I was going to bring up earlier, uh, riffing on something you said, is because we're expanding so much beyond what started this, the whole barefoot running idea, mm-hmm. um, there are going to be some things that are going to drive that moving forward. And, oh, actually, it was really also that doing that whole transition thing, not thinking that it's just an instant solution, which again, annoyingly it is for some people. I mean, for a lot of people, frankly, but for some, it's not is the better way of saying it. There are people who recognize the necessity for paying attention to your body and knowing how to listen to that, hate that term, how to pay attention to what's, you know, feedback you're getting to know how to make the transition in an intelligent way who also have enough clout and credibility and visibility that it could change everything for all of us really fast. And that's a bunch of professional athletes. There's more and more pro athletes who are getting hip to the the importance of natural movement, of foot strength and ankle strength that you get from letting your feet do its natural. And um, we're seeing more of them want to participate. And many of them are realizing oh yeah, I've got to just walk around in these things for a while first. And then I'm going to just, you know, warm up in them. Or then I'm going to just go to the gym. And then I'm going to like maybe do some of my scrimmages or drills or whatever it is they do until I feel comfortable. And then, you know, maybe I'll just play five minutes in a game. And then, I mean, they're really, because these guys, their livelihood, a significant livelihood depends on them staying healthy, of course. And so, you know, they want to titrate it. But the other thing... Is that I mean? We I talked to the agent for a couple athletes recently, and I said the moment one of your guys, you know, like do, does five minutes on the quarter on the field in one of our shoes, uh, we're going to hear about it. And he goes, "Oh, uh, somebody from Nike called last week to find out what you're up to." I went, Sorry, what? So you know, I think that we're that we're not at the tipping point, or really more accurately, the critical mass point. Tipping points—I just misused it in a way that I hate—but we're at that inflection point, is what I wanted to say. We're not there yet. But it feels like we are getting Moment. exponentially or asymptotically closer. Yeah, um,
1: and I think that the kids uh, there has been a lot more discussion and focus on it for kids. So when these kids are grown up,
0: it's tricky. Here's here here's yeah. my well here's my, here's my my uh, counter argument to that one. Um, for younger kids, undeniably. And you know, it's something that we're looking at very aggressively. And the challenge for, again, people don't understand how the metrics work and how the economics work, is making stuff for kids costs about the same as what it takes to make stuff for adults, but you can't sell stuff for kids at that same price. That's the tricky part. So you know, what right, do you do? It costs
1: more because it's harder to make.
0: Right, exactly. So there's that component. But the other component um, is the trickier one and the one that I'm most interested about giving that sort of top-down thing from celebrity-level people is that once kids are in junior high and high school, they're so influenced by what their friends are doing and what their friends are doing is influenced by what's happening from the people they look up to, whether it's musicians or athletes or whomever. And so I've seen in some cases, kids who are totally into what we're doing, once they get into junior high, they're putting on something that screws up their feet and they know it and they admit it. And they go, but this is what everyone's wearing. I got to fit in. And so that's the part where, now the flip side is, there's certain kids. I mean, our CFO, his kids are as socially conscious as the next, but they finally went, "I can't do it," and mm-hmm. you know, they won't wear anything else. So there's going to be an interesting shakeout in that 12 to 17, 18 range, um, maybe it's 12 to 16 range that I'm very, very curious about because we're going to have to overcome the strongest thing that happens for you know p- people in that age range is just all that social pressure.
1: Yeah, but I feel like if you have been raised with this foundation, then Hopefully. if you want to, I mean, and even if you're an adult and you take care of your feet, but you still want to wear whatever on whatever, whatever and day, and then. Yeah. then that's well, not going to completely undo everything else. No, that you that's
0: do. true. And, and look, it's a thing that I'm pitching very, actually aggressively now, when I talk to people who are committed to running in typical running shoes, I go, great. Get out of them as soon as you can and wear ours for recovery and building foot strength because, as you said, it's proven to reduce your risk of injury. And um, and it'll also make your expensive shoes last longer. So, you know, I don't want to argue with them. I mean, I do, but I try not to because uh, it doesn't work. But I want to give people – I want to meet people where they are and show them that we're not trying to, you know, convince them to switch from Democrat to Republican or vice versa, that we're trying to show them that that's a completely different conversation it has nothing to do with keeping your feet happy, healthy, and supporting the rest of your body.
1: It's a compliment. Yeah, it's like it's it's yeah. an ad, adding, not a uh, being reductivist or polarized about yeah. it. It's how can we make it better without forcing you into ultimatums?
0: And it's tricky from my perspective, at least, or at least from my personality, because um, when people go, "Well, you know, there's you know, everything, everybody's different," I go, "No, they're not." Human beings are fundamentally the same with a few edge cases that are not as edgy as you think most of the time.
1: That's so. a, that's an interesting thing that I kind of grapple with and in my own mind is this, that everybody wants to exclude themselves from advice. <laughs> they yeah. want to figure out like why that doesn't apply to them if it's something that they don't want to do. But then on the other hand, there is a lot of individual variation when people are first coming to the table, so it's like finding True. that balance of like, True. yes, we all have similar biomechanics, but we also are coming to it with different all kinds of different life well, histories. And, but and-
0: this this is my favorite part of the argument for lack of a better word, is when when someone like Ben O'Nigg researcher um, says, "Well, everyone's got their own preferred movement patterns. like, dude, it was influenced by the shoes they were wearing as they developed that movement pattern. It didn't come out of nowhere so you know that's the the intriguing part these differences that people are that have when they come to where we are is because of the thing that we're saying is causing right. the problem but even then it's hard for people to wrap their brain around that um yep. it's it's totally fascinating uh or as lena loves to say this would be so interesting if it wasn't happening to us <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's intellectually interesting, but we're in the, in the throes of it where it's tricky, where someone says, well, you know, like you said, they're going to argue for their exceptionalism, um, in a negative way. And I go, one of the things I say is human beings have been doing this since the beginning of human beings. Why do you think you can't?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then
0: they'll go, oh, well, okay. I go, it's just not an instant fix. Like, you know, when you, your refrigerator is broken and you get a new refrigerator.
1: Yeah. For in my own personal experience where I tend to be more of an open book, I tend to like absorb more things and I'm open to a lot of stuff that I hear, but sometimes it's like, if you take that too far, then you're like squirrel, you know, like everybody's trying to tell me what to do. So figuring out that balance of, okay, I'm hearing, I'm listening. I, I'm not going to be rigid in my thinking. I'm open to this, but also like it does kind of have to work for me. Like I do have to figure out how does this fit into my life? Right. Do I even have any time to spare for this? And I think that the foot health stuff is is a part of that. You know, you see like all Absolutely. these foot exercises to do or you get you see like all this advice or how to transition and there's different ways to transition and it at some point it becomes noise. Yeah. And so you know, that's where it kind of becomes you I feel like a person needs to turn inward and say, "Okay, what am I going to do with all this information?"
0: Well, I think I think what you're pointing to is and you mentioned something before um the people who have been trying to do education about this, they're in my my perception, they're trying to stake a claim, whether they know it or not. It's like, here's my version of what you need to do. And it's going to be different than that person's version. So I can put a name on mine. They have a name on theirs. Here's the differences between those two. Fundamentally though, there are common factors that are identical in those you know, two different camps that I just laid out. And if we talk about the common factors part, then it's easier for people to make that, to understand that or make that kind of decision. Like, I'll tell you something. I, I don't know if You've experienced this, so I was at an event called um, the Mountain Land Running Summit, um, put on by some physical therapists in Park City, Utah. And it's lectures by, in this case, they had five or six different lecturers talking about running, the cause of running injuries, and the cure for running injuries. And for the first time ever, and I've been to going, I've been going to these events for a while. Mountain Land Running Summit, Science of Running, Medicine, American College of Sports Medicine. I mean, like I go to these events for the first time ever. Basically, everybody agreed about one problem, the number one problem. They all agreed, overstriding, landing oh. with your foot too far in front of your body. They all agreed that that was the cause of most of the problems that people were experiencing, which was fascinating. And then there was someone doing gait analysis where people got on a treadmill and they had these 3D images and almost everyone overstriding. And yeah. watching their response, in fact, my favorite, the the guys who had the gait analysis, um, they're from Run DNA. I'm going to be talking to them, I think, next week. One of them had a brilliant cue to give someone to help them try to stop overstriding. He said, "What I want you to do when your when your foot's coming off the ground, I want you to imagine that you're kneeing a soccer ball towards me. I'm like ten feet in front of you, knee the soccer ball towards me." And the person started running, and their gait was instantly better. And they said, "But now I feel like I'm just landing, you know, on my midfoot and like it's like I'm running barefoot." And he goes, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you could see in the analysis instantly better from that one brilliant cue that I'd never heard before. Uh, I want to do a whole thing about that. So, you know, it's just fascinating. Even the people who are there, it's all physical therapists there, 200 physical therapists there to learn what to do to help their patients. Even seeing the resistance there when everyone they just heard was saying, this is the number one problem. They didn't want to correct it for themselves more often than not
1: that's something that another we taught, we were talking earlier about ways that we, I had changed through my career in barefoot shoes. And this is another thing where when it comes to alignment, biomechanics and like, Oh, you're running wrong or you're walking wrong. Like it's very easy to just roll off the tongue, you know, these, these things. But when you're the person who's walking or you're the person who's running and you're like trying to make adjustments, most of us are terrible at identifying what we're actually doing and trying to Change something and changing the right thing. And so I have really moved away from some of that stuff where it's like more way outside of what I can uh, really talk
0: well about. Well, it's funny. It's where I'm going explicitly because. This is something I've been so interested in for a long time. My undergraduate research in cognitive psychology was on cognitive aspects of motor skill acquisition. And I did, I mean, a whole bunch of things about what did it, how you have, and I was an all American gymnast where you learn to do all this crazy shit that, you know, seems physically impossible. And so this is my, one of my biggest interests is how do you, and, and what are the learn to, to, to pay attention to get the feedback that you need? and to engender a movement pattern that may be more optimal and i'm not saying that you always have to land midfoot or whatever i always say this all the time when people say how's your foot supposed to land i go how the hell do i know depends on if you're going uphill downhill fast slow accelerating decelerating so it you know it's much more complicated than just land on this metatarsal and stay there for one tenth of a second i mean it's like again people want simple answers for complicated things but i'm all about the um again the common factor part so um uh, we got to go in a minute, but I got I can't stop from doing this one. Nick Romanoff, who developed what he calls pose method, he identified this, which was basically that the better you get at something, the more things become alike. When you look at Usain Bolt sprinting in slow motion, and you go, God, oh my God, his form is perfect. Then you look at the other seven runners in the race. They are too minor individual differences the fundamentals exactly the same and this is the point that i you know want to drive home sometimes is yeah you're going to do some little things different but the basics have to be the same because we're all human beings with the same anatomy little i mean you know anyway we could we could do this for another couple hours but (laughs) i gotta get out of here i gotta pee if nothing else so um uh, but i've actually got a meeting so um anya this has been as always a total total pleasure uh, do me a favor, tell people how they can find you and everything you're doing.
1: Sure. So my blog is AnyasReviews.com. And
0: I-A-S A-N-Y-A-S, Reviews period dot com. Just, you know. Correct.
1: Yeah. And um, my shop is Anyas-shop.com. We're also on social media, both uh, channels. So at Anyas Reviews for most of the, pl- like, all, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And yeah, we've got lots of stuff there for you.
0: Uh, and I encourage people to go. So, um, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And for everybody else, I hope that was fun getting them behind the scenes of what's going on in the minds of people in the industry in different ways. Um, uh, and if not, you know, let, hey, let me know. I'm game. In fact, uh, let me know anything. If you have a request, if you have feedback, if any, if you know anyone who could be on the show, and especially someone who might think that either Anya or I, but in most cases in my situation, me, um, have a case of uh, cranial rectal reorientation syndrome. Um, let me know. Just drop me an email. Move, M-O-V-E, at join the movement, movement.com. And again, go to join the movement, movement.com to find all the previous episodes, ways you can find us on social, where to leave a review and a thumbs up and a like and a, all the things you know how to do to spread the word to help more people live life feet first. And until then, uh, in fact, just go out, have fun, and live life feet first.